This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. There with you, that you please open that up to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Joshua judges Ruth, Ruth chapter 2. This morning, Ruth chapter 2. You'll find that on page 222, should you care to use uh, one of the uh, Black Pew Bibles that uh, we provide there for you. Ruth, we said, is a story of redemption. It's a story that demonstrates how God invisibly works in all the details of human history, even in individual lives, to bring about His saving plan of redemption. And how God can do that in the worst of times, the darkest of times. We saw last week that this story takes place in the time of Judges. A a time when every man did what was right in his own eyes. A time of moral chaos and moral relativity. It was also a time of material difficulty. There was a famine in the land of promise. And chapter 1, if you were here with us last week, you remember, traces... How the invisible providence of, hand, providence of God was at work in the experiences of this one family from Bethlehem. Whose father, whose name was Elimelech or Elimelech, which means my God is king, moved his wife Naomi and their two sons away, away from the promised land, away from the covenant people. We were to think and understand he was moving them away from the realm of God's blessing, the realm of God's promise. And he moved him to Moab, to a place and a people that was full of idolatries and false gods. As bad as it had gotten in Judah, this was a darker place. And tragedy quickly struck. Limelech died, and he left his wife and two sons, and his two sons took Moabite wives, which was another kind of tragedy. And then they also died. And so they were there, childless, without a male heir. And the family line had no future. It was a picture, really, in only those first five verses, a picture of the bitterness of death that we find outside, outside of God's covenant relationship, outside of God's covenant mercies, a picture of hopelessness when we are away from the God of promise. And the rest of the chapter, beginning at verse 6, you remember, was all about what? It was all about returning. It was all about moving back. Twelve times the verb in one form or another of return or turn back was used from verse 6 all the way to the end of chapter 1. Turning back, a Jewish widow named Naomi and a Gentile widow who her daughter-in-law named Ruth. Back from exile, as it were, from the voluntary exile of their family. But this was also not only a turning back towards the land because of the news of God's blessing the land and providing food, but it was a turning towards God, a turning back towards God. And if there was a verse that summed up 
the essence of chapter 1. It would be chapter, verse 21 where Naomi says, I went away full, and the Lord, that is Yahweh, has brought me back empty. I went away. He has brought me back, but he's brought me back empty. And we saw there the bitterness of her heart where she said, no longer call me pleasant or Naomi, call me Mara. Bitterness, why? Because the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. And we said that there's, there's the, the clear indication there that this woman still saw God's hand in all of life's events. In other words, she believed in divine sovereignty. But she just saw God as being against her more than anything in a negative sense. And then there was a light at the end here, a little glimmer of hope. Verse 22 says, they returned and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Right at the beginning, there was food. So let's read on. Chapter 2. And now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. And so she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. We'll stop there. This is the word of God. No, my father was a young immigrant from Italy, first to Venezuela. He crossed the Atlantic Ocean by himself at 17 years of age. He went to a place he didn't know. He went to a, a people he didn't know, a language he didn't speak, and a culture he didn't understand. He did have a small group of fellow Italians waiting for him there from his own village, including his father, my grandfather, who soon left my dad there to fend on his own and return to Italy. It was about a little over a decade later that he did it all over again, this time married to mom and myself as a young child. They moved from Costa Rica to the United States, to, to Ohio, a little town outside of Cleveland, Ohio, again to a, a place they didn't know and a, a people they didn't know, a language they didn't speak and a culture they didn't understand. And there he had one uncle waiting for him. Uh, they were, uh, in a sense, if I put it this way, they were entirely dependent upon the mercy of someone else, entirely dependent on those who could help them. They were outsiders, foreigners, strangers. 
I wonder, have any of you been ever in that same kind of position? I understand that in a church like ours, with the diversity we have, there are some who have come from other nations, but I don't mean only as an immigrant. I also mean in a broader sense, in, in the broadest sense. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you were absolutely dependent on someone else, on something happening, on mercy, on an outcome you could not control, you could not make happen? I know that's the case with some of you right now because knowing some of you personally, I know that some of you, you have a life right now that has a lot of uncertainty. You're waiting on something. You can't control all the outcomes and so you're dependent on other people's decisions. You're dependent on mercy, on someone acting, someone being gracious, you know. A few years ago, as my dad's memories were fading, he found a photograph from Ohio and he showed it to me and he said to me, can you find this man for me? I said, what do you mean? And he said, I think he's thinking of the internet, you know. He said, can you find this man? I said, who is this man? And he shared his name with me. It was a photo of him with this man, his arm around him. He said, and then another photo of him and myself with this man. And he said, this is the man who gave me a start. This is the man who Gave me a chance. That's what some, some of you are, are looking for right now. You need something to change. You're not sure how the future is going to unfold because you cannot control it. Well, I want you to understand that, that as chapter 2 begins, that's exactly where Ruth and Naomi find themselves. They came at a good time. The, the barley harvest has begun, but... Uh, they still have, at this point, they have nothing, they have no one. They are two widows, a Jewish widow and a Gentile widow together. Alone in a dangerous time, in need of mercy, in need of someone to you know, give them a break. Open a door. In chapter 2, what it demonstrates is how the invisible hand of God and His gracious providence went overwhelmingly beyond what any of these two could ever have imagined when they arrived back to Bethlehem. And so it began at the end of 22, uh, verse 22 of chapter 1, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And were we to read all the way through chapter 2, it says that she, Ruth, kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. Ninety days. They come at the beginning, and then for 90 days, they're supplied with food. What happened in between? <laughs> How did this come about? I want to look at this chapter through three phases. There's mercy sought, there's mercy found, and there's mercy praised. The chapter begins, mercy sought. The author says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This is what? This is a, a narrator's uh, foreshadowing. Ruth doesn't know this, but he's telling you and me this. And he tells us that there's this man named Boaz, and he's a worthy man. The term can mean wealthy, it can mean prominent, it can mean 
someone with standing in the community. And that's what we're to think about. Here's a man with some significant influence and in standing in the community. And he's one of Naomi's relatives. And that's how it all starts, you see. And then Ruth in verse 2, it says here, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Now when he says Ruth the Moabite, maybe if you're reading through it, you're asking yourself, why do you keep calling her the Moabite? I know she's from Moab. You just said she's a Moabite. Once again, you say the Ruth the Moabite. And when in Hebrew narrative, something like this is being repeated, beloved, the author's emphasizing her background. What's he saying to the early readers of this book? Well, they would understand what he's saying. He's saying this woman who was with him was an outsider. She's a foreigner. She does not have any right by lineage, by her blood, to the blessings of the covenant people of God. She's not a daughter of Abraham in the flesh in blood and that's how people would see her as someone outside and that's truly how we all start we're outside of the blessings of god we don't know god by our own nature paul says in in holy scripture in ephesians chapter 2 to that largely gentile church he says to them remember that at one time you gentiles in the flesh Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, you see. That's how we all start our, our, our lives. We're strangers to God's grace, stranger to the people of God, outsiders, you see. And that's how people would have seen Ruth. Who is she? What does she want with us? Why is she here? She was the outsider. But she has bound herself to whom? To the Lord God, the God of Israel. In chapter 1, she used that language, which is that covenant language. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. And we know that's the language of when God brings someone into his people, he says, you shall be my people, I will be your God. And so Ruth may not be, may not be someone who belongs by her natural lineage, coming from Moab, the outsider. But she is at this point, we believe, a daughter of Abraham, by the grace of faith, by which she bound herself to this God. And she, in a sense, exercises more faith and covenant fidelity than Naomi. Naomi doesn't go out and glean. She has faith to somehow ask if she could glean. And now at this point, we need to understand a little bit about what this word to glean means. It's not part of our modern parlance, in the, but in the, this ancient world and in the context of, of agriculture, that was an important thing, you see. This was not a welfare society. There, there were no social programs. There were no handouts. There was no soup line or forms that you filled out, no check to wait for coming in the mail. That's not what happened. But God, who is gracious 
and infinitely merciful. God had embedded into his law. He had baked into his Torah, into the law, a principle of mercy. Uh, a way to provide for the poor and the destitute and the outsiders because God cared for them and it's the Lord's intent all along to not only have a people from among the Jews but from among all peoples. And so we read, for example, in Leviticus 19, Leviticus 19, verse 9, the Lord says, when you reap the harvest of your land, who's he talking to? To his own people, the Israelites, he had given them land, the land of promise, land flowing with milk and honey. That's my blessing, he says. But when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Leave the borders unharvested. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, the things that fall, the gleanings. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. Why? He says, you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, the outsider, the alien. I am the Lord your God. As if to stress, I have a heart of mercy for the downtrodden, for the outsider. And I have blessed you that you might be a blessing to others. And so God had embedded this into his law. And, and somehow we don't know, Ruth has heard about this, so she asked, may I glean? Let me go out into the field. We don't hear of Naomi going, as I said. And why? We're not told about it. You can imagine. She's an older woman. She went out full, she said, and now she's back empty. What an embarrassment. Couldn't go out there and glean among my own people. I went out full. It's easy, huh, isn't it, to somehow get disanimated, lose all your energy when you think that God's out to get you. You feel like, well, what am I going to do? He's going to win. <laughs> you go. And so she goes. She says, let me, let me go to the field, singular, and see whose favor I, I might find. Now, when she says the field, you are to picture that there would be large, large fields or, or large pieces of land that would be subdivided into smaller pieces. And there would be different owners of these different portions. And, and who owned what piece wasn't clearly marked the way we would. There were, there were no fences. There were no names on it. There were no hedges. They were usually marked by, by stones. right? And that's why verse 3 says she happened to come to that part of the field. That chunk somewhere in the big field. She happened to come to that one piece that belonged to that same man that we were introduced to, Boaz. Now, a few things stand out here. One of the things that stands out about this woman, about Ruth, is her attitude, her heart towards all this. There's no, there's no spirit of entitlement like is 
such as so common in our time, right? She, there's no presumption here. There's no demanding of rights. She's, she knows that she has bound herself by oath to the covenant God of these people, but she understands that, it, that the, none of this is deserved by her, and so she humbly admits at every turn that she's dependent on mercy. Verse 7, says, the man says, she said, please may I glean. She's industrious, and she has faith that God will lead her and bless her and take her to where she needs to be. And this is how we all must approach the living God. If we want to find favor with God, we want to find mercy with God, we have no claim on it, we have no right to it, we cannot demand it, we cannot expect it. We saw in First Peter some time ago that irrevocable principle of God's dealings with human beings never to be changed was what? God is opposed to the proud. End of story. But he gives grace to the humble. There's no manipulation there's no deal making with God. And so she moves out humbly to seek and find mercy, find favor. Verse 3, what a beautiful line. She happened to come. <laughs> she happened to come to that part of that field belonging to that guy I told you about in verse 1, says the author. And what's he doing? The author's inviting us, what, to look behind the details, see behind the details that God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to behold, that God has led her to where he wants her to be. There's no such thing as chance. We know as, as Christians, the Proverbs says in Proverbs 16, man plans his way. But the Lord directs his steps. I'll go out into the field and see if I may find favor. That's the plan. The Lord directs the steps. She happened to come <laughs> to that portion of the field belonging to Boaz. Yeah, Ruth come to the right place. From her perspective, maybe by accident, right? She's come to the right place. This is the place where God wants her to be, where God has designed for her to be, where God has led her to be without coercion uh, at the time that God wanted her to be there to receive what God wants her to receive and to meet whom God wanted her to meet. God moves in a mysterious way. <laughs> and I know there's no such thing as coincidence, that there's no such thing as blind fate but everything that happens in our lives happens according to the divine providence of God, his invisible hand. We tend to associate that more with the good things of life, you know. Praise God, in his providence, he blessed me with this. But as we sang today, his hand is involved in everything, including the difficulties, even as Naomi recognized. You know, God is behind everything ultimately Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 the apostle Paul says that God is the one who works works all things together according to the counsel of his will according to his design and according to God's design right when she was there where she was on the day she was 
Verse 4, Boaz arrives. <laughs> he arrives from Bethlehem, it says. And he said to the reapers, or harvesters, I think we'd say, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Now again, when, when someone gives a detail like that, it's important. That's not some cliche. We may manage to think, oh, what a nice greeting. No, no, think about it in its context, beloved. Think about it in its context. This was a time when men did what was right in their own times. This was a time of moral chaos. This was a time of, of covenant infidelity. And in such a dark time like that, here comes a man, a worthy man, who greets his workers in this way. What he's showing us is what? His faith and his godliness, his character. How is this man worthy? He's a man who understands that his business is blessed by God. He's a man who addresses his employees in this way. The Lord bless you. And he's done this so much that they respond to him. May he bless you. <laughs> you see. And so he's given us insight into the character of this man who honors the Lord in his business, you know. And so it starts how? Mercy sought. Let me go out to glean and see if I may find favor, right? She is industrious. She sets out. There's an old Latin proverb that says, Providence assists not the idle. And so she sets out to find mercy, to look for it, to make those phone calls, right? To, to step out in faith and see where God leads, what happens. Some of you are waiting for a new direction. You're waiting for that change, you know, that thing to happen, that, 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 that new start that'll finally bring some relief or change what's happening. You, you can't just sit still forever. And then mercy's found, right? Boaz comes to her. And he addresses her. Let's pick up the reading in verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now he speaks to her directly. He says, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they're reaping and go after them. You know, follow them. He's saying, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, you go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face, bowing down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, by Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here. And eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And, and she ate until she was satisfied and, and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, 
Now, you let her glean among the sheaves. In other words, not just the things that have fallen, right? Or on the edges. And do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, you know? You just drop some stuff here and there. And do not rebuke her. And so she gleaned in the field until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned, and, and it was an ephah or ephah of barley. We'll talk about that in a moment. So after Boaz inquires regarding the identity of this young woman, right, he speaks to her, you know. And in what he, in what he asks when he says, whose young woman is this? And uh, we, we want to maybe hear some romance in there, especially if we know the end of the story. You know, we want to think maybe he's kind of sweet on her, isn't he? Huh? You're, you're, hearing the, you're hearing that statement in this light. Whose young woman is this? <laughs> right, that's, but that's not the focus of the author here. It, it, ends, it ends in marriage, we understand that, but that's not what's happening here. The focus of the author here is different. You see, the fact that he addresses her as my daughter, my daughter speaks of two things. One, that he's older. He has no expectation. And secondly, that he is protective of her. This is the time when men did what was right in their own eyes. This was a time of violence. This was a time of abuse. You read the book of Judges. It was a time of sexual exploitation. It was not a safe time for a young uh, foreign widow to be out in the fields all by herself. We live in a time like that, huh? Sexual exploitation. A time where young boys and young girls are stolen. A time of sexual trafficking. Well, you are to picture something like that. You picture here a man. A man who, who is of some standing. A man who is prominent. A man who has some power. And he doesn't abuse it. He does not abuse it. He does not exploit her. And we ought to see in Boaz's statements and his activity what biblical masculinity was designed to be since the very creation of men and women. That men were made to be providers and protectors. And we are not to be embarrassed by that even when the culture calls that toxic. We know the scripture says that God created men and women equal yet different with different roles. I read just this week of a law that's being proposed in Congress and House of Representatives by one representative that believes that we need to expunge all federal law and language of these two unbelievably controversial words, husband and wife. It's a time when everyone does what's right in their own eyes, but in a time like that, Boaz is a godly man. He's a worthy man. Apparently, he had both male and female harvesters 
and he wanted to make sure that she didn't drift off maybe into someone else's piece of the land. And so he tells her carefully, you know, he provides for her. Uh, he provides for water for her. He knows that she's vulnerable even in the promised land at days like this. And he guides her and tells her she ought to follow behind the other woman, take the water that the men have drawn, have drawn, his men have drawn. And so Boaz shows this extraordinary mercy, this overflowing extraordinary concern for an outsider, someone he's just met of all things. And she's overwhelmed by the, the overflowing generosity of this man that she just happened to meet. And in verse 10, she's so grateful and so overwhelmed, she falls on her knees before him, and she bows down and says, Why have I found favor in your eyes? Let me go out and see if I find favor. She says, I've found favor. I've found mercy. But why? Why are you treating me like this? I'm, I'm a nobody here. I have no name. I have no future. I, I'm a a sojourner, an alien. Well, Boaz replies in verses 11, 12, and we don't know how he says, but I've, I've heard about you more than just today. <laughs> I've heard of the extraordinary kindness that you displayed when you were willing to leave your father and mother. The first we heard of them, there's probably, it looks like they're still alive. And you were willing to leave the land that you, that you grew up in, the people you know, in order to care for your mother-in-law. And he blesses her. He says, may the Lord reward you fully for what you've done. Not because she, he believes that she merits it, but, but may the Lord bless her and may the Lord reward her. Why? Because she sought refuge, he says, under the wings of Yahweh, the God of Israel. In other words, uh, the author's telling us that Boaz sees her decision to leave uh, her homeland, her decision to leave her own people, her decision to bind herself to his people and his God. That was what? That was to place herself under the wings and care of God Almighty, Yahweh, the God of Israel. There's a little foreshadowing right there of what? The flood of Gentiles that are going to come in to the people of God in the future. People like Ruth, Rahab, and others. And so he says, that's why I wish the Lord would bless you. And that protective image of God's like having wings like an eagle and that beautiful image of being close and protected by him is used a handful of times to speak of that provision and protection that God provides for his covenant family, his people. For example, David says in Psalm 17, 8, hide me, hide me in the shadow of your wings. In other words, protect me. In Psalm 57, again, David writes in verse 1, be merciful to me, O God, be, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge in the shadow of your wings. I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. And so Boaz believes that by her coming to the land of promise, embracing the God of promise, embracing Naomi's God, she, Ruth, has placed herself under his care. 
And she has exercised faith coming out into the field, not knowing where she would land. And then he goes beyond. Boaz goes beyond what the law in general, in principle, would provide. The opportunity on the edges of your property. He goes way beyond all of that. He, he offers her water. He offers her protection. He, he instructs them to make sure she has enough. And then that intimate moment in verse 14, where he invites her personally to come and eat with him cooked food you wonder when was the last time she had a cooked meal he says come here dip your bread here in the wine and she sat next to the female reapers what do you think they were thinking huh (laughs) who is this girl I've worked 10 years here I never shed any bread and wine with Boaz. (laughs) And it's a picture of the grace of God. You sought shelter, you sought refuge under the wings of our God, and you are family now. You have a place here at the table. You belong. And God's blessed me to bless you. And she ate, and it says there, until she was satisfied. Again, when was the last time she felt that, a full belly. And she had so much, she had leftovers. (laughs) Leftovers to take home with her. She has more than enough. The provision overflows in God's grace. She couldn't imagine that. And we're told that by the end of the day, she had uh, what some estimate, and it's hard to be sure of these ancient measurements. Some say, well, that was about 22 liters. Others say, that's about 29 Pounds. I just picture her coming out there with a huge bag of rice from Costco, you know. She's got this massive bag on her shoulder, and she's got what? Tupperware with all the leftover food <laughs> from lunch, you know. She sought favor. She stepped out in faith. She had bound herself to the God of Israel. She had no control over the circumstances. And she found favor. Favor overflowing. Overflowing abundantly. You see, there is a picture in here of what redemption is for you and me. A picture of the abundance of God's grace that not only justifies us, not only gives us a right standing with God, you are are forgiven, but he brings us in close, in fellowship with the triune God, right? Right? John writes in 1 John, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. We sit at the table, we dip our bread in his wine. Come here. You belong, you see. And he satisfies us. He cares for us. He provides for us. And how does he provide for us? Overflowing. We are given protection from sin's guilt. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Protection from the wrath of coming judgment. And beyond that, he cares for our everyday needs. We find favor with God that is lavished upon us through his mercies that are new every day. Paul describes it this way in Ephesians 1. He says he has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Elsewhere, he says, it's grace upon grace. And James, the brother of Jesus, says, he gives more grace. (laughs) Yeah, he's full of grace and mercy. Paul says in Ephesians, 
that God, he prays that they would understand that God exceedingly abundantly can do more than we could ever ask or think in Christ Jesus. And so she found mercy and was exceedingly abundantly beyond anything she ever thought of, anything she imagined when she set out that day (laughs) to find favor. And this gives rise to a question to me, and that is, given the choice, would you rather seek your welfare in someone else's field? Because the harvest looks greener, thicker, or in the field that belongs to Boaz, the worthy man from Bethlehem? Where are you seeking? Where are you seeking your fullness and welfare? Is it outside? Or is it in the context of faithfulness to God's covenant, to God's blessing, to God's word, to God's family? Your calendar will demonstrate some of that. How you use your time, your, your commitments, your checkbook, your... So where are you seeking then? Because nearness to God is where it all happens. It's where favor's found. Well, mercy was sought, mercy was found, and now mercy's praised. She takes that big old bag home, verse 19. She starts making her way up. Verse 18, rather, she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she'd gleaned. And she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. I picture her slapping that big old bag there on the table, you know, and, and then pulling out the little Tupperwares and saying, and look what we have for lunch, you know. There's enough here for you. And her mother-in-law said to her, and again, I picture her voice something like this, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, well, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. (laughs) And Naomi goes on and said to her daughter-in-law, well, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, that man is a close relative of ours. He is one of our redeemers. We'll stop there for a moment. Now, what what stands out here? A few things that, first of all, the the provision was abundant. It's amazing. It's overwhelming. Naomi could not imagine that she was going to come home that first day with so much provision, so much food. And Naomi responds with praise because she recognizes that this kind of generosity, this level of kindness was extraordinary. There's no way that just kind of happened. Someone gave you that, that start, that door, that opportunity. Someone, someone saw you and cared. and Someone extended God's mercy to you. Praise God, she says. Who was it? <laughs> and then she tells her, well, it's a man named Boaz. 
And we're to think, yeah, Boaz, the worthy relative from verse 1, whose, whose piece of the land she just, quote, happened to find herself in by God's grace. And so Naomi explodes with more there in verse 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law of the day, Well, may he be blessed by the Lord, by Yahweh, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. How is that? Well, because the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now, the Hebrew in, in, in this verse is a little bit ambiguous. It's clear that the first part applies to Boaz, you know. May he, Boaz, now that I know it's Boaz, verse 20, uh, she says, may he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord. But the last part is not clear grammatically who the subject of that rest of that statement is. Well, it could be Boaz or it could be the Lord, Yahweh. So the question is, who is the one who has provided who is the one who has extended kindness, chesed, and has not forsaken the living or the dead? It could be either Boaz, the subject of that, or it could be Yahweh. And she uses that word. Now the author places it here. Chesed, that word for the second time in this book. That word that is filled and rich with meaning. That's hard to translate with one with just one English word, a word that has a sense of kindness, but kindness within the context of a covenant relationship. Sometimes it's translated steadfast love or loving kindness or faithful love. And so the question is, who is the one who extended steadfast love to the living and the dead? And some are inclined to think, well, she's talking about, about Boaz. Others are inclined, no, she's talking about Yahweh. But Perhaps it's simply this, since we can't tell from just the grammar, that she sees both. In other words, that in the kindness of Boaz, she sees this, the hand of God. Why? Because of what she says next. Not only did this man provide you with food, but do you know who this man is? <laughs> He's a relative. He's one of our redeemers. And only God could do both of those things. <laughs> Provide us not only with food today, but food from someone who may open the door to our future. So may he be blessed of God, she says. And that is a tremendous thing when that happens, when you start seeing God's hand in your life, God whom you thought was out to crush you, out to get you. Now this word redeemer can actually just mean a relative, but chapter 3 makes clear that it refers to what we translate in English as a kinsman redeemer, that is a relative that has some obligation to the family and the right to redeem her dead husband's property. More about that next week, but we're left to wonder here, what's going to happen next? Is he going to redeem? What's, what, what, is this the beginning of a change, finally, the flood of goodness for Naomi and Ruth? And then the chapter ends with this brief but interesting little interchange between Ruth and Naomi. It's hard to be exactly sure what the author's getting at, but let me try. It says there in verse 22, uh, excuse me, verse 21, Ruth the Moabite said, Besides 
Meaning, in addition to providing in this way, he, that is, Boaz, said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Now, we know from verse 8, he didn't say that. He says, stay close to my young women. But she says, he told me to stay close to my young men. (laughs) And uh, we know what? She needs a husband. Boy, this guy's providing a whole lot. Maybe there's going to be a man for me in this whole group. And Naomi said to Ruth, she doesn't know exactly what Boaz told her, but Naomi here, whose eyes are now being opened to the flood of God's mercies and what kind of things God may do, she told her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, verse 22, that you go out with his young women. What's she saying? Slow down, girl, time out. (laughs) You aren't going back tomorrow and start following the guys around. You stay with the women And you stay in his field. You stay in the place where God's blessing. And maybe she's thinking, I have my own ideas about a future for you. (laughs) So you go back and you just follow the women out there in the field, lest you be assaulted. Then it says, verse 23, So she did. She kept close to the young women of Boaz. How long? Well, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, about 90 days, three months. And she lived with her mother-in-law. In In other words, still no husband (laughs) throughout the whole harvest. Well, a book like this speaks to us on many levels. It's designed to do that. There are many ways that we could reflect on what should we take from this? Well, we've alluded to some of it. On one level, we could say that Ruth is a model of humility She is a model of humility, and she is a model or a picture of what we all are by nature. What We are all lost strangers, outsiders. We have no claim, no right to God's blessing, God's mercies to us in Christ Jesus. But she seeks favor, and what she does, she places herself in the path of where something might happen. She reminds us of various New Testament characters, someone like blind Bartimaeus, who hears that Jesus of Nazareth is the son of David, is going to walk on this trail. What's he do? He drags himself there, places himself there on the road, by the road. And when he hears that Jesus is coming by, he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they tell him, quiet down, old man, blind man. And Jesus, son of David. And he hears him and he stops and what he heals the man. Well, that's what Naomi's doing. That's a picture of what it is to come to Christ, to come to faith, to be forgiven, to belong to the family, to be able to sit at the table with the son of God. We must humble ourselves. And cry out, Son of God, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the question really is to you personally whether you really have humbled yourself to him. And like the other man, the taxpayer in one of Jesus' parables, he said, Oh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Well, he is good to all who seek refuge under his wings. So seek it if you haven't yet. 
We could also look at Boaz that we have, we have already and say, well, here's something to take. He's a model of godly masculinity. That's, that's true. That's true. We, we talked about that. But there's more here, like in every Old Testament account and narrative, there's more here than a be like Boaz or be like, uh, like Ruth or a be like David. Well, there's some of that there. There's much more than that. Where? Why? Because we as Christians, we read all Scripture in light of all Scripture. And we understand that the Bible has a dual authorship, human and divine. And we understand that when we read an account like this, that we read it in the light of the whole scripture. We read the story of Ruth in connection with the larger story. We understand that the Lord, that the divine author has placed certain events and certain phraseology, certain pictures that foreshadow later events of greater and broader significance. And so those of us living on this side of the cross of Jesus Christ, living on this side of the first coming, living on this side of the Messiah having come, when you and I read an account like this, and we hear of a man from Bethlehem who is worthy who comes down to deliver and to provide protection and provision graciously to an outsider, a foreigner, that should ring a bell. (laughs) And it will later in chapter 4 and beyond, you see. In other words, Boaz is already beginning to glimmer in a sense like a picture of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, our man from Bethlehem. And we should also gain further insight into God's gracious providence when we read an account like this, you know. It's funny, huh? She said, I, I went out full, I came back empty. Uh, amazing that the very person that Naomi thought was a burden to her, Ruth, the very person she tried to send back three times, go back, go back, go back. The very person she didn't even recognize when she told everybody, I came back empty. That very person was the means of God's gracious providence to her. Yes. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. The the thing you're worried about today, that thing around the corner you're not sure of, those things you can't control, those, that may be the very way God extends greater mercy to you. He moves in a mysterious way. But we're going to sit at his table now in communion and dip our bread into the wine with him because of his love. Let's pray. We...